listening to the White Oak Houston podcast, the official podcast of White Oak Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. White Oak exists to help people come alive to the wonder of the gospel and fully follow Jesus. For more information, please visit us online at whiteoakchurch.net. Get out your Bibles at this time and turn to Matthew chapter 3. It's our text this morning, Matthew chapter 3. It's the first book in the New Testament. We're going to read Matthew 3, verses 1 through 17. We have a longer text today, so um, stay with me. And this is a powerful passage because this is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And as we read this, I want you to hear that This comes out of 400 years of silence when Israel thought that God wasn't speaking anymore or thought that he had left them out of the silence of 400 years in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. John the Baptist comes in saying, the time is now, the kingdom is here. And so I want to speak that over your life too. If you feel like God has been maybe silent in your life, this is God saying he's not silent. He's coming and the time is now says this, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, rejoice, or the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. That's a pretty big rebuke. (laughs) Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, being Jesus, is mightier than I whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, "I, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John the Baptist consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated at this time. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing today? Good morning. 
Uh, This is a really exciting day for us here at White Oak because today we begin a journey in the Gospel of Matthew that we're going to be in for a long time. We're probably going to be studying this one book of the Bible for the next seven or eight months. As many of you know, um, in the fall of this year, we're going to restart our church um, under the name New Day Church with a with new fresh commitment to reach people who are far from God. And um, as we were thinking about what we should preach on leading up to that, we thought, man, let's just get a lot of Jesus in our system. Does that sound like a good idea? Let's just study uh, the first book of the New Testament. Let's believe that as we study these things and go deep in this book of the Bible that um, we'll become more like Jesus. I come before you too as an imperfect man. I have my problems and my shortcomings, and um, I'm just anxious to sit under this text and to learn from Jesus. And the way we're going to do it um, is we're actually, it's going to be basically one book of the Bible, but we're going to break it up into five different series um, in accordance with the five things we put forward in our vision for this year, the first being bold gospel, the second being deep discipleship, real family, true love, and wide reach. And so what we're trying to do is show how these things that we're committing to Um, are not random, but they really are the core themes in the Gospels. They're the core truth that the the church of every generation is committed to. And so the first one, um, the next few weeks, we're going to be studying in a series called Bold Gospel, and we're going to look at different uh, passages in the Gospel of Matthew and just see what the Gospel is and and the depths of it. And before I dive in, I I do want to say just really quick just how Um, honored I am to be a part of this with you guys. Um, The vision this year has received such an amazing response. Um, We had a hard time um, getting community groups this semester because we had too many people sign up, um, which is good. It's a good problem to have. Um, And uh, we we just started our New Day classes last week, and uh, we have a new problem. We're actually out of Sunday school rooms, and so if we added another class, we'd literally be meeting on the front lawn. Um, So I'll see what we're going to do. Maybe we'll create some outside space. Um, but I just love it because, you know, um, God has given us a vision and you guys have just responded um, so humbly to it. Um, we're all learning together, even myself, I'm, I'm learning in this season. And so, um, but we want to start here with the bold gospel because I think for a long time in the church, um, the gospel has been um, shrunk down too much in a sense. And when you know, I, hear, I say the word gospel, you think, I know about that. It's like, you know, I believe in Jesus. And then when I die, go to heaven because Christ died for me on the cross. And that is a massive, important truth of the gospel. But the reality is that the gospel is not just something that saves us in the end, but it is something we experience here. And I think Jesus is going to show us that here today, that we don't have to wait till we die to experience the kingdom of God and the power of the gospel in our lives. And so as we begin the series called Bold Gospel, the title this morning is just simply Bold Gospel because I think as the, the kingdom comes into the world, as we see here in this text, it comes in a, a unique way, in a very bold way, and I think it comes that way in our lives as well. But as we begin, um, I'll begin with a story. When I was in eighth grade, um, I had the privilege of going with my middle school. I went to Clifton Middle School here in the community. Uh, go Cougars if you went to Clifton back in the day. Um, and I got to go on the, the famous Washington, D.C. trip. It was kind of a big deal back then. The eighth graders would get to go to Washington, D.C., and my mom was nice enough to pay the money so I could go. Um, and it was a wonderful trip. It was fun. It was kind of like my first like, real pilgrimage away from home. 
And, uh, but the, the interesting part about it was you would think when going to Washington, D.C., that the biggest thing that I would have done or the most exciting thing would have been seeing the White House or the different monuments or the Pentagon. And we saw all that, right? But the highlight of my trip to Washington, D.C., because I was an eighth grader and, you know, eighth grade guys sometimes aren't the smartest, brightest bunch. At least I wasn't. Uh, the biggest part of the trip for me was we were going in between two sites um, early on in the trip, and there was this, like, shady guy on the side of the road selling fake Rolex watches. And um, I stopped, and I bought one for $15. I bought a fake Rolex watch, and I was so excited, right? And we're talking about repentance today, so I'll do a little confession up front, just so you can know I'm not just asking you to repent and confess. I'll do it too. Um, I, I bought this watch with bad intentions. I intended to lie to everybody and tell them it was a real Rolex watch. Because when you're in eighth grade, back then, we, it was like bling bling, you know? And so I got me some, some bling bling. I don't think that phrase is used anymore, but that's what we had back then. And I got this watch, and I was telling everybody it was a real Rolex watch. And so, uh, but it's funny, I came back, and I was actually, I grew up here at the church, and I was playing basketball over in the gym. It actually got stolen from me. I, I took it off to play basketball. And so I, like God actually intervened. He like kind of saved me from myself so I couldn't lie about it anymore, right? Um, someone else probably needed it more. But, uh, you know, it's funny. I think that's just a good reminder um, that just because something looks like something doesn't mean that it is. I think in life we've all been burned by that at different times. And what's interesting is, is we talk about the, the 12 disciples, and yet when you think about it, like wasn't Judas one of those so isn't it more like the 11 disciples when you think about it? And it's crazy when you think about Judas because he walked with Jesus for, for three years. And in the end, he betrayed him. And yet for three years, I mean, he probably said all the right stuff and he, he looked the right way, but he was constantly looking to betray Christ. And at the very end, in accordance with God's will, he did it. I think it's a reminder for all of us, a sobering reminder today that there's a lot of religious confusion about what it really means to be a Christian. And as I pastor people and watch people come into the church and talk with like secular people in the culture about Christianity, maybe, it, maybe it's always been this way, but I just know for sure when I talk to people about Christianity, I, I get answers that aren't really what it's about. It's about, they say, well, going to church or being a more moral person and all these different things. And I just want to say today, I think John the Baptist is going to show us this in our text, that Christianity is, is just about Jesus. And it's about his death on the cross and his resurrection and his gospel message of good news and how it doesn't just save us in the end, but it also changes the way we live today in a bold manner. It changes our life, but it's not that we become people that earn our salvation. We become people who are desperate to Jesus in everything. And so real Christianity, we want to, want to clarify this because there's a lot of confusion about what it really is. I think there's a lot of fake Christianity out there, if I'm honest. But real Christianity is about a bold gospel that Jesus brings into the world and that God calls every human to respond to either yes or no. And so we see this today. Let's look back at our text in Matthew 3, verse 1. We see this in the book of Matthew as John the Baptist, who I'm just going to call JB today, um, begins preparing the way for Jesus' public ministry. Let's read this. It says, verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
Notice what this guy is like. It says, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And so this is where we're going to start today. John the Baptist was a bold guy with a bold message. I need you to see this. Uh, when I was uh, growing up, I would like kind of skim through the Bible and I would try to maybe pick out the details that I thought was important. But as I've matured into my faith, I've realized that all of Scripture is God-breathed and all of it is important. And so what I want you to note here is that the author of the Scripture wants us to know what John the Baptist was like. He didn't have to tell us what he was like. He didn't have to tell us um, anything about him. But it makes, uh, it makes a point to tell us what he is like. And the reason is this, is because there was an expectation from the Old Testament that a prophet named Elijah, who was one of the more rougher and tougher prophets of the day, you can read about him in the Old Testament, he's a pretty raw guy, uh, but he loved the Lord. And he was supposed to come back before the Messiah or the king that was going to save God's people. And they thought it was literally going to be uh, Elijah, but later on Jesus explains that that person was John the Baptist, that it was an Elijah-like figure. In 2 Kings verse 8, or chapter 8, it describes Elijah as intentionally bold and rough. Like there wasn't going to be a smooth, clean-cut dude that was going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so what I need you to see here is that John the Baptist was a bold guy because it's foretelling the message that is coming and the way that we are to receive it. This dude's crazy, but John the Baptist or JB, he's like the, the good kind of crazy, right? You know, there's like bad crazy and good crazy. Uh, raise your hand if you have like a friend that's like good crazy, right? Good crazy, like they, they kind of make things more fun and they kind of get you out of your comfort zone and they call you to more in life, right? That's like the good kind of crazy, not the, not the bad kind of crazy. And so this guy is crazy and he's wild. He's a rough, tough, change agent kind of guy. John the Baptist was not just a rock the boat kind of guy. He was like cut a hole in the bottom of the boat and everybody jump out. That's who John the Baptist was. That's JB, Okay. He was the guy at summer camp who would eat the concoction that everybody would make with the mayonnaise and the ketchup and the chicken nugget and the green beans. Who's going to eat it? John the Baptist is going to eat it. That's who's going to eat it, okay? He's this crazy dude. And so please note today that God does not send a politician in a suit. He doesn't send a choir boy or a sweet little girl gently tossing flower petals as sweet as that would have been. If he had a theme song, it would have been less like Cannons in D, that wedding song, and more like Welcome to the Jungle, right? Because this dude was literally coming out of the jungle or the wilderness. But the scripture tells us what he's like because a bold gospel, a bold message must come with a bold interest. And what the scripture is telling you is that what is being laid before you is not to be taken lightly. Notice in verse 3 how it says he was crying out in the wilderness. He was crying out. He was passionate. And this was important. And let's look in verse 2 at his bold message. This is a bold message in all times, I think especially in our day. This is his message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is the core message of John the Baptist, is to repent. It's very simple, and yet it's very profound. What he says is that the kingdom is here, that God is renewing the world. He is making things right. He is healing our sin. The kingdom is literally at hand, but here is the problem. To enter into it, we must repent. And that word in the original language literally means to change your mind 
or to walk away from sin so that we can walk towards all the ways of Jesus. And so when we follow Jesus in our life, we should expect to have a radical turnaround in our thinking and in our living. And the first thing I want you to see and that I think he's saying in this passage is this, is that the real God brings real change in your life. If you're taking notes, write that down. The real God brings real change in your life. Just because we use the term God doesn't mean that we're really using or referring to the the one true God. A lot of people think they might have a relationship with God because they're a good person or or because they maybe even have, um, you know, the, the proper kind of lifestyle, if you will. But the reality is that the real God brings real change in your life because in order to embrace the kingdom, we must repent. And let's just admit it today, church, like Christianity is like really offensive, right? Isn't it? And I think that's kind of what makes it attractive for people, right? I, I know I'm a millennial, so I'm part of the snowflake generation. I can totally own that, you know? You know, we all, we did, I actually, I have a few uh, participation trophies I actually got growing up, you know, and I was actually glad to get it back in the day, you know, it was kind of cool, you know, but we're kind of like that generation and we were all going to grow up and we were all going to change the world and we all had what the world needed and then the message of Jesus comes along and it says, man, you're you're not perfect and you have problems and and you have issues and we need to repent and so if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to change. And here's the problem, I think. And maybe you can relate with this. I think a lot of people in our world today, we, we want a God who just kind of affirms everything we already do. You know, we want a God to affirm the way we live or whatever lifestyle we have, whatever choices we make, whatever world. We just want like this like cosmic confirmation, if you will. God, just come alongside me and tell me I'm great and do away with my enemies, you know, and, and get the bad people in the world, you know, ISIS and all the other really bad people and just kind of be with me and guide me because I'm the truth in the world. And we kind of want this God who just kind of affirms us But let me tell you why that's not good. Let me tell you why that's not loving. Imagine an earthly father. I I have two little girls who I love so much. Imagine an earthly father. Think about this. What makes a good earthly father? I'll tell you what makes a good earthly father. He is invested in the life of his children. An earthly father is not checked out. An earthly father doesn't just tell you you can do whatever you want to do. A good earthly father gives you guidance in life. A good earthly father confronts you when you're going down a bad path, not to make you feel bad, not to condemn you, but to save you from your own ways. There's a wonderful book that I recommend every dad of daughters read called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. I read it about a year ago by a doctor named Meg Meeker. And what she says statistically, like like, like the data is in, that what helps girls grow up to, to love God and to be strong and confident and not go down bad paths in the world is to have a dad that is involved and that will always fight for her and always tell her what's right even when she pushes back against him. And she says the, the, the big thesis of the book is the problem is as they get older, they start pushing back like, well, I'm not going to say anything because she doesn't listen to me anyway, Right? She didn't want to do what I want to say, so I'm just going to stay out of it, you know. She starts dating some idiot guy, and she doesn't listen to me, so you know what? She's going to, whatever, right? No, no, no. Because it's in those moments that you're showing her that you will love her no matter what. And that her 
living the life that she's supposed to live is more important to you than having her even like you in that season. What it says is that we need strong fathers, not a weak, checked out, absent, aimless father. And that's what God is for you. When we're going down a bad path, God says something. And we might not like it and we might think it's offensive, but he's not really that interested because he's more interested in your well-being. In the same way, Jesus reveals to us that God is a father. And so in that, there are times, as John the Baptist says here, that we are called to repent. And repentance is a good thing because it's proof that God is invested in your life. That God cares who you're becoming. God isn't whatever about you. God isn't checked out about your life. And so as we come to the scriptures and read the things that it says, like those are commandments that are given for our good and for our flourishing. And I say this in like every other sermon. Nobody ever comes into my office and says, my life has fallen apart because I've been too holy, you know? I've just been being too sexually pure and it's messing me up. No one ever says that. It's always, I did exactly what I wasn't supposed to do. And hear me on this church. And I, I don't think this is even a word, so I'm just going to make it up on the spot. The consequencelessness of sin has an expiration date. The consequencelessness of sin has an expiration date. And I think we all know that to be true. You, for a while it doesn't impact you, but eventually it seeps into you and begins misleading you in this life. And God loves you too much to let you just continue being who you've always been. All of us have areas that we must change. And that's the message of John the Baptist, is that the real God brings real change. As Jesus comes onto the scene, the people must repent to be a part of his ministry. And for us, right, we we sometimes oversimplify it and say it's just this, this neat little life that gives you a little bit more hope. And what we're learning in this passage is that when God comes into our life, we need to expect to change. But it's all for our good and for his glory. And yet here is the good news. Go back to verse 2. He says, repent, but why do we repent? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance is really good news, church. Because what it means is that God has something better for you. The rule and reign of God is coming into the world. The kingdom is here and we can enter into this. The kingdom is at hand. So we're repenting, but not just so we kind of feel bad about ourselves. We're repenting so we can have a relationship with the God of the universe. That's what you're getting. That we don't have to wait until heaven to experience the presence of God, that we're living in it today as the church, as the people of God, that we can drink deep of God's love in this life. We can hear his voice. We can experience his glory. And we don't even have to earn it. In fact, we did everything we could to screw it up, but he brought it to us anyway because he loves us. See, I think repentance gets like a really bad rap, right? We think of repentance, it's like the going to the priest in like the dingy chapel and, you know, confessing our sins. You know, I think... I think repentance, I've used this before, it's kind of like Creed, you know, like the band Creed. Everyone kind of hates on Creed. I'm a huge Creed fan. You didn't know about me, right? Nickelback stinks, right? But Creed is awesome, and it's a shame they get lumped in with, with Nickelback. I know some of y'all like Nickelback, but whatever. They have a couple good songs, but whatever. That, that's my middle school days. But repentance gets a really bad rap. And let me kind of paint the picture in like a story. So I got some bad news about a week ago. Um, 
not super bad news. People are going through far worse things, right? But it kind of came out of nowhere. I went to the dentist and did my checkup, and they're like checking me in for like my teeth clinic. Oh, you haven't been here since like 2014. You know, it's been half a decade. You know, welcome back, you know, because I didn't think about it, you know. And so I went in, and they're, they're checking me out. And as they're checking me out, they're like, I can tell something's wrong, you know. Oh, oh man, something's wrong. It's kind of hurting a lot as they're doing their stuff. And the, the, the dentist guy comes in, which the dude was like 82. And still like this like dentist who was, I mean, he's, that's awesome. I'm going to be you when I'm 82 years old. He was like, has so much energy. It was awesome. He's like, well, son, he's like, I got some bad news for you. I'm like, what? He's like, you've got that gum disease gingivitis thing, right? Not a super bad case of it, but you have it. And he was like, literally, if you get that, you're going to have it for the rest of your life, right? So I'm just going in for a casual cleaning, and I'm diagnosed with an incurable gum disease, right? And he was like, do you floss? He said, he said how often do you floss? I said, I never floss, right? He said, well, it's finally caught up to you, son. Speaking of the consequencelessness of sin, right? Um, I was like, because I, I don't like flossing because it feels, it makes me feel weird. I hate flossing, you know? Raise your hand if you floss regularly. Wow, I'm bad. I thought like, I thought like three people flossed. Wow, wow. Y'all are like, man, this guy's crazy. Like, no, but the, 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 conf- no, the confusion was though, I actually brushed my teeth a lot, right? But I learned that doesn't cure gingivitis. It's like totally different, you know? So I've never had a cavity, but now I have gum disease, right? And so anyway, he's like, well, son, you're going to be... Um, flossing for the rest of your life hardcore. He's basically calling me to repent if you change your ways, young grasshopper. But, so I left the office, and you can ask my wife. I was kind of bummed about it, you know, because that's not the news you want to get. It's like, oh, are you serious, you know? I have to floss for the rest of my life. I hate flossing, you know? I hate flossing. And I was kind of complaining about it. And the first night I was like, oh, I was being dramatic. And it's like, it's like way over dramatic. You know, people go through far worse, you know, I have to floss, you know, my first world problems, you know. But then I was thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? This is actually really stupid that I'm complaining about this. It's like, why am I complaining about doing something that is so good and beneficial for me, right? It's like when you complain about exercise, like, oh, I got to exercise. Like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, I've got to do something that increases my longevity in life. I got, I got to do something that makes me look better and feel better and, and think. I got, I got to do something that decreases the stress in my life. We're, we're complaining about this thing that has so many benefits for us and that I believe God created to benefit us. And repentance is the exact same way. I'm going to give you seven reasons why repentance is good news for your life because it's not depressing we don't do it because we're afraid of it to make us feel bad, but it's going to make you feel the opposite. Seven reasons why repentance is good. Number one, you don't have to earn salvation, and it proves that. God's not like the hard driving coach that says, you know, go run a million laps and then come back, and I'll let you know if you did good enough. You just have to give them your life. I mean, would, would you, I mean, think about it. Would you rather him said, you know, uh, go, go pray for 10,000 hours and then enter the kingdom of God. Would you rather it be that? Would you rather him say, um, um, be perfect for the rest of your life by yourself and never sin and then you can enter the kingdom. Would you rather him said that? Imagine he said, you have to literally give everything away that you've ever had. Would you rather him say that? He says, repent. How wonderful is that? Second reason, it says that you can be forgiven of every sin you've ever committed. Tell me that's not amazing news. Repentance shows you can be forgiven of every sin. Number three, repentance proves that you can actually change. 
There would be no need to repent if we couldn't change and grow and mature. Like, like repentance is a message of hope. Number four, it means your past does not define you. You want your past to define you? I don't. Repentance means there's a new day. There's a brighter tomorrow. Number five, as we talked about earlier, repentance shows that God is invested in your life. He cares. He's an invested, dialed-in father who is shaping you for your life. Number six, it shows God is patient with you. If God was just going to condemn you and just say, I'm done with you, repentance wouldn't even exist. It shows that he's patient. And number seven, it leads you into the kingdom of God right now. That we begin experiencing his presence. And so I know a lot of us, we're coming out of different worldviews and we're coming out of different religious ideas and Christ is drawing us here and he's building us into a spiritual house as it says in Ephesians 2. And we're members of the household of God. And, and, and can I just declare, because it's hard for me too, can we just let God do his work in our lives? Can we just hear his word and respond? Can, can we just check our opinions at the door and realize that we have flawed brains? Can we just admit that we need God's presence in our life and we need him to change us and that the reason all of us are here in this room right now is because whatever was out there wasn't enough for us. Us being in this room is proof that we needed something else and God is giving it to us, but it comes boldly into your life. Oh, Christian, wake up if your faith has just become too generic. Like, let's be, let's be radically putting off sin and radically growing. Let's have a vision for our future, a biblical vision for our life. Let's jump back into holiness and a radical pursuit of what he has for our life. Let's be excited about change, not resistant to it. Let's continue on, read a couple more passages. Look at verse 5, and then I'm going to skip to verse 13, because I think these go together really well. It says, In Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan was going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan and confessing their sins. And so they're being baptized and confessing sin. And then skip to verse 13. This is Jesus coming on. He says, Then Jesus came from Galilee into the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. So John the Baptist, rightfully so, was like, I can't baptize you. You're perfect. You're God. I'm preparing the way for you. And yet, verse 16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. This is God the Father. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And this is what I want to say to you today is that following Jesus leads us into cleansing waters of baptism and confession. The baptism is spiritual cleansing. It's a symbol of what God has done in our life. And confession is cleansing. You see, Jesus, in this moment, it's important to note, he's not being cleansed in the waters because he's sinful. He's doing two things. He's first modeling the way for us, showing that we need to be baptized. But then also he's identifying with our sin. 
The same way that he doesn't die on the cross for his sins, but for our sins. He doesn't get baptized for his sins. He gets baptized for our sins. And so he's modeling the way for us. And in this moment, we see that baptism is a bold, public declaration of your commitment to Jesus. And so if you are a believer in the room today, if you say you're a Christian, if you believe the gospel of Christ, that he died on the cross for you and rose again for your sins, that he has renewed you in that way, then every Christian should be baptized. There there is no good reason to wait unless you are unsure. Baptism is not essential for salvation. It is an outward symbol of something that God has done inside of us. There was a time in church history where some people were confused theologically and thought if I wasn't actually baptized in the water, even if I believed I wasn't saved, the scriptures make it clear that's not true. But let's see it in Acts 2 verse 38. It'll be up on the screen. See the connection between repentance and baptism. It says this, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was baptized. In this passage, we see people repenting of sin and being baptized. We see it throughout all of the scriptures in the New Testament. And we see Peter leading the church in it in this moment. And uh, one of the things that often gets asked, and so I figured I'd take a moment just to kind of address it, is a lot of times people will will come, and uh, for some reason, I I love, we, we do like, we have a lot of people in our church um, who grew up in like a Catholic uh, background. Um, and I love those people, man. Like those people are like awesome, like good, faithful, hardworking people. You know, like I think Baptists can learn a thing or two, honestly. But a lot of people will come in from, from that tradition and they might have some confusion about baptism and what if I was baptized as a baby or, or, or should we do infant baptism? And, and I want to be clear and I want to speak with, with even humility on this issue because th- this is one of those things where like, you know, if you truly believe in Jesus, that is what saves you, right? And so we can still fellowship with people that have different opinions on these things. But, but let me just explain kind of why we do what we do here and, and why we think it is important. As Baptists, you know, we practice believer's baptism, which is that uh, you get baptized once you have personally made a decision. And so we don't baptize um, our children because they have to make a decision for themselves, right? That's how what we believe. And the most simple way for this is just because when we look at scripture, like we just see people being baptized who made a personal decision, right? We, we don't see a clear example of an infant being baptized. So some people would point to some verses, but it's not clear. But, but let me tell you like, like the main reason why Baptists have historically practiced um, believer's baptism and why it's been so important is because um, one of the things I think that is potentially concerning about infant baptism is that it breaks apart two things that the scriptures never break apart. And that is repentance and baptism. You always see those two things connected in the scriptures, that we repent and then we are baptized. As much as I love my little girls and as much as I care for them and I want nothing more in my life than for them to come to know Jesus, I know that they will have to make that decision for themselves. And so if we believe that you have to trust in Jesus for your salvation and I can't decide for my daughters that they trusted him, then we also believe Um, that they must also choose to take this step in baptism for themselves. It's like, you know, if my daughter's born and I I register her for her for college when she's six months old and I take the classes for her and I get the degree for her and then she's 17 and she's like, time to go to college, dad. I'm like, no worries, I got you back in the day, you know. You don't need to go because I I did it for you, right? Um, It's important for them to have that experience, we believe. But once again, I I do want to be humbly on that issue 
but also in addition to that. So, so we are called, I believe, um, all of us, I want to encourage you to take that step. If you're a believer in Jesus and you've never done believer's baptism, I want to encourage you to take that step. Uh, we have a baptism coming up next week. And so we have a moment, we have a sign-up sheet there in the back. You can also sign up online. We have a few people registered already. We would love to walk through that step with you. We have a baptistry that's behind the screen. And what's so cool is we're going to see in a moment, there's like this beautiful stained glass. But what that represents is the dove that comes down in the baptism of Jesus. And so it's uniting us with him. People are always like, what does the stained glass mean? So I thought I would explain it. There you go. But there's also this. Confession of sin also is cleansing water for those of us who are believers and who have been baptized. Confession of sin is a bold declaration that you hate sin because you love Christ. And man, in this passage, I just envision, as like there, it says in verse 5 and 6 that they're confessing sin. I just envision them seeing the beauty of Christ coming. And he's so beautiful and he's so holy and he's so good. Like this other stuff, it can't fit in my life anymore. It, it can't be a part of what God's doing in my life. And it, it reminds me of when I was engaged to, to be married to my wife and I was six months out from engagement. I remember thinking like, I gotta really grow up because I was 23 and I was immature, very immature, still immature, but um, I was more immature. And I remember there were a few things that I knew I had to deal with in my life because I didn't want to bring it into my marriage because it was going to be too beautiful, too encouraging, too loving, too Christ-centered. And man, I can't think of anything more bold today than confession of sin. Can you? And our culture, like you've been on Facebook recently, like is humility a virtue in our world today? Like do, do people even know what that word means? You know, like Facebook is like, you know, here's my highlight reel, here's what I'm good at, here's my stuff. And then, and then here's all the people I don't like and how they're so stupid and pointing out. It's like we point at other people's flaws and we highlight our strengths. Isn't that what we do? It's like when I talk with couples and their, their marriage is struggling. You know why the marriage is struggling? It's because each spouse is more focused on their partner's deficiencies than their own. Like we're getting PhDs in each other's shortcomings, right? And confession of sin is a humbling thing to say, admit you're not perfect, that you have issues, to worry about yourself and to grow. In James 5.16, it says, therefore confess your sins to one another. And pray, man, what if we did this, church? What if we were confessing to each other? What if we were really praying for the flourishing of one another, that you may be healed? That we're not just called to confess to God, but we're called to confess to each other. And what confession does is it invites somebody else into your spiritual growth. Can you imagine five people that are invested in you? And I feel like for so many of us, like God just like convicting me in this passage of just like, no, we got to come out of the shadows. Like it's, it's okay. It's okay to come out. It's okay to confess. Find people that you can trust. One of the ways that we facilitate this, the main way we facilitate this in the church is through community groups. Because it's in groups and we see it happen every semester where people begin to, to build the relationships with people who you're close enough and trust enough to share with the core thing in our groups we do every week is we just share about our life, and that can include your shortcomings. A lot of times in gender-specific groups, we break up into guys and girls because we know people are more likely to be honest in those kinds of settings. But I want to encourage you. So, so if you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you to sign up at the table and take that step. And the same way if you've never been in community, man, 
Come get in community with us. It's not too late. We start groups this week. Go sign up. If you can come once a month or twice, twice a month, if you can't, just, just sign up and begin building the relationships that you need. We're not going to condemn you. We're going to support you and love you. And so as we draw to a close, I just want to highlight one more thing. I said it a little bit earlier, but I want to point it out again. The, the context of this we often miss And what we miss is that John the Baptist is coming out of the wilderness after 400 years of what seemed like silence in Israel where God was not speaking and scripture was not being written. It's called the intertestamental period in Christian theology. And it is out of this silence, this 400 years where it seemed like maybe God wasn't doing anything where John the Baptist bursts out of the silence and says, the Savior is speaking, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And church, the kingdom is at hand. And so as we draw to a close, can I just proclaim over you that the silence is over and the Savior is speaking in your life. Maybe it feels like 400 years of silence But God is speaking to us. I know he's speaking to us because I I talk to him every day this week. And it's my prayer today that I might be at least somewhat of a little John the Baptist-like figure in your life, which is funny because my name's John and I'm a Baptist, so (laughs) kind of like John the Baptist. Um... Wow, that's funny. Um, Like, repent. The kingdom's at hand. The scripture always talks about confession of sin and how it's cleansing, how it can make us white as snow. One of the best psalms in all the Bible, I encourage you to read it, is Psalm 51. You ever read that one? where King David literally just committed adultery and got somebody killed over it. He did the big sins. And Psalm 51 is the prayer of David to God saying, would you create in me a clean heart, O God? Renew within me a right spirit. That's what confession is. It's washing you white as snow. And so I'm going to pray for us, but I just want us to sing that chorus. We're going to sing it here. should be up on the screen here. It just says, would you create in me a clean heart, O God? I want us to respond to the Lord together in singing this before I, before I pray for you. Because we believe this I want you to see the hope and confession. I want to see addictions healed today. There's no reason to wait. There's no reason to be in the darkness anymore. There's no reason to put off your baptism. There's no reason to wait. The waiting is over because the kingdom's at hand. And so I'm going to have Lindsay, if she just sing that chorus for us. Would you sing with her? Just sing this with her. Just sing that out. So joy of your salvation would you create in me a clean heart 
Let's prepare the way. The story me joy. Wash me white as snow. Wash me white as snow. I will be made Wash me. Sing it out. I will be made Wash me white as snow. Wash me white as Father, I thank you for this moment. God, we believe this in this room, Lord. God, you're not out to get us. You're out to heal us, Father. God, call us back to holiness in this place, God. God, you care about our life. You are invested in us. We ask for forgiveness for our sins. We say we're excited for your work this week as we step into the kingdom, God. It's at hand, and we're coming fast. We're running to you. We're running out of that grave, out of that sin. We're running away from porn, God. We're running away from lust, away from gossip, Lord. God, we're running away from the negative thinking, We're running away from anxiety, Father, from not trusting you. We are running so fast. Would you cleanse us in the waters? Take us down to the river, God, and wash us there, Lord. I pray all this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.